Shalom, and I would like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are currently doing a series on the biblical festivals, and in this session we're going to be speaking about the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. The major theme of Sukkot that we're going to be studying in this session is that Sukkot is related and connected to completing the task or the conclusion of our spiritual journey. In the book Sound the Great Shofar by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, on page 13, he writes, Our sages point to Mashiach and the redemption, that is the messianic redemption and the end of the exile of Jacob, as the ultimate purpose for the creation of the world. For God created the world in order that he should have a dwelling place among mortals. And this goal will be realized in the era of the messianic redemption, which is associated with the messianic era. Our sages state that the world was created solely for the Messiah. And this comes from the Talmud in Sanhedrin 96b. So we have here that the world was created for the purpose of Messiah, that the God of Israel would have a dwelling place among mortals, and this is going to be realized in the Messianic era. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it is stated for us here that the world was created by Yeshua and for him, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. We can see from John chapter 1 verse 14 and then from Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4 and verse 9 how Yeshua is connected and his purpose for coming to the earth both at his first and his second coming is associated with him dwelling on the earth with his people which is the purpose of of creation that God would have a dwelling place among mortals as stated by Rebbe Schneerson in his book Sound the Great Shofar. So in John chapter 1 verse 14 it is written, And the word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. Then in Zechariah 14 verse 4 and verse 9, In his feet, that is the feet of yod heh vav from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. We understand this to be Yeshua. Upon him setting his feet on the Mount of Olives at his second coming, then we have Zechariah 14, verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth, and that day there will be one Lord and his name one. He is dwelling in the earth with his people, which is the purpose of creation. If we look at the first word in the Bible, in Hebrew it is breshit. And if you would look at the first word of the Bible, breshit, in a Torah scroll, and in the Hebrew, 
you will discover that the very first letter of the Bible, which is the first letter of the word Breshit, is enlarged. Being enlarged, it is irregular. It stands out. And that letter is a bet, and bet in Hebrew means a house. So the meaning behind this is that the reason why the God of Israel created the heavens and the earth is because he desired to have a house or, to put it another way, a dwelling place among mortals. If we look at the first two letters of the first word of the Bible, Breshit, it is the Bet and the Resh, which is Bar, and Bar means son. So the God of Israel wanted to have a house for his son. We understand this to be Yeshua. This is the purpose of creation, and we see the purpose of creation connected with the historical Egyptian exodus and the historical Egyptian redemption. When the God of Israel brought his people out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai, and then he had them build a tabernacle. And when they built the tabernacle, then the presence of the God of Israel dwelt with his people, which is the purpose of creation. So we have the first foreshadowing and fulfillment of the purpose of creation when the tabernacle gets built and the God of Israel is dwelling with his people. And what we're going to see in this context is this is actually Yeshua who is dwelling with his people in the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, it is written, And let them make me a sanctuary, in Hebrew a mikdash, that I may dwell among them. This is the fulfillment of the purpose of creation, that the God of Israel would dwell with his people. And then it says in Exodus 25, verse 9, According to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. So we see that the purpose of creation is God having a dwelling place among mortals, and this is fulfilled through Yeshua the Messiah dwelling with his people. Initially, we see that dwelling in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, but the fullness of the fulfillment of this is in the time of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21, where the Messiah will be dwelling with his people for all eternity. The purpose of creation is not only the God of Israel dwelling with his people, but that he would be dwelling with his people on the earth. That is why the Messiah comes to the earth at his first coming to dwell with his people and then at the second coming to rule and reign as king over all the earth and then ultimately in the time of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem for all eternity. Next, let us see how Creation is linked with the redemption from Egypt. In the commentary of the Torah by Moses Nachmanides, known as Ramban, in the introduction to the book of Exodus, Nachmanides writes, In the book of Genesis, which is the book of creation, the Torah completed the account of how the world was brought forth from nothingness and how everything was created as well as an account of all the events which befell the patriarchs who are a sort of creation to their seed. 
all the events that happened to them, the patriarchs, were symbolic occurrences indicating and foretelling all that was destined to come upon their seed. After having completed the account of creation, the Torah begins another book concerning the subject that has been alluded to in those symbolic events recorded in the book of Genesis. Of course, we are talking about the book of Exodus. Continuing on, Nachmanides comments on page 4. Now, the exile was not completed until the day that they returned to their place and were restored to the status of their fathers. When the children of Israel left Egypt, even though they came forth from the house of bondage, they were still considered exiles because they were in a land that was not theirs, entangled in the desert. When they came to Mount Sinai and made the tabernacle, and the Holy One, blessed be He, caused His divine presence to dwell again among them, that is when they returned to the status of their fathers, when the counsel of God was upon their tents. So we see the link of Genesis and creation and the events that happened to the forefathers explaining how the children of Israel get into Egypt and then when they come out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness where the tabernacle is erected. This is fulfilling the purpose of creation. Continuing on, Nachmanides writes, At this point in time, when the tabernacle was erected and the divine presence is with the children of Israel, then they were considered redeemed. It was for this reason that this second book of the Torah is concluded with the consummation of the building of the tabernacle and the glory of the eternal filling it always. So this is a prophetic foreshadowing now of the Messianic era when between then and the Messianic era, from the events that happened at Mount Sinai, where the covenant was made with the nation of Israel, they broke the covenant, got exiled into the nations of the world, and ultimately in them coming out of their exile from all the nations of the world, which was foreshadowed in the redemption from Egypt, they're going to come back to the land of Israel, through the redemptive work of the Messiah, and Messiah is going to rule and reign with his people during the Messianic era, which is the fulfillment of the purpose of creation. So what happened in the Torah is just a foreshadowing of what is to come, fulfilling, once again, the purpose of creation. So we see in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34... When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, built the tabernacle, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The divine presence is called the glory of the Lord. Now this earthly tabernacle that was built is a shadow of the true heavenly tabernacle. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you in the mount. This is quoting from Exodus in chapter 25 and verse 9. We see in Revelation in chapter 21 
with the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven, we see that this is when the Messiah is going to be dwelling with his people for all eternity. And look how this is described. It says in Revelation 21, verse 23, In the city, that is the new Jerusalem, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light. The Lamb, the Messiah, is the glory of God, that is the light of the city. So we see how the glory of God was with the children of Israel when they erected the tabernacle, and now in the new Jerusalem, the glory of God, the Messiah, is once again dwelling and abiding with his people. When the God of Israel redeemed his people from Egypt, the purpose of it is so that they would serve him. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it is written, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you. When you've brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. So the purpose of being redeemed from Egypt which is personified in Passover, is to come to Mount Sinai to serve God. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 55, it is written, For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We are servants of the God of Israel. In being servants of the God of Israel, I would like to share with you three primary duties of a servant of the God of Israel. Number one, a servant of the God of Israel will love Yeshua by keeping his commandments. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeshua is referring to loving the God of Israel and keeping those commandments when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, referring to the commandments given at Mount Sinai, of which he is the one who gave them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and John 14, verse 15. Number two, a servant of the God of Israel will love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Mark chapter 12, verse 31, and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength by keeping his commandments and loving your neighbor as yourself, Yeshua taught us in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, are the two greatest commandments of the Torah. So if you actually love the God of Israel and love your neighbor, what you will do, number three then, is you will redeem your family member if he has sold his inheritance. How do you sell your inheritance? You don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. You break his commandments. You serve other gods, which causes you to be exiled. And a servant of the God of Israel will have mercy and compassion for his covenant family and will go out and to seek them and bring them back into the family. So this is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 
25. As servants of the God of Israel, we are on a spiritual journey. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it is written, And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that is, the land of Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. The purpose of redeeming his people out of Egypt was to bring them in and to give them a land. This is the completion of the redemption from Egypt, is being brought into the promised land. So looking at this pictorially, the reason and the purpose for leaving Egypt, which is done by putting the blood of the Lamb upon the doorpost, is that our journey would take us to Mount Sinai where we receive the commandments and the instructions of the God of Israel of how to live being his covenant family and his servants. And by being redeemed and keeping his commandments, we would finish the journey and we would go to the promised land and inherit the promised land. This journey is represented by Passover, putting the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost, and Pentecost, or Shavuot, is associated with the event at Mount Sinai, and then going into the promised land is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, finishing the journey. Another way of looking at this is that we are given a promise of the God of Israel, that is the seed that is sown, when the promise that he's given to us. Then following him giving us a promise, that promise will be tested. That's the next stage in the journey. And if we hold on to the promise in the testing, then we will see the fulfillment of the promise, which is going to the promised land. This can be looked at as well in this way that the coming out of Egypt, putting the blood of the Lamb upon the doorpost, is our spiritual redemption. Then, coming to Mount Sinai, in being redeemed, we are not faithful, and we break the covenant. And the God of Israel is faithful, and if our hearts are turned back to Him in our disobedience, He will bring restoration into our lives. And the fullness of Him completing His work in us is us being restored. We can look at this another way, that we leave Egypt, we come to Mount Sinai. Following Mount Sinai, our ultimate end of our journey in the Promised Land is Mount Zion. So the whole purpose of coming out of Egypt is that we would go into the Promised Land, which is Mount Zion. We can look at it this way. Coming out of Egypt, putting the blood of the Lamb upon the doorpost, is salvation by the blood of Yeshua. And then coming to Mount Sinai, Yeshua said, If you love me, keep my commandments. With salvation and redemption by the blood of Yeshua and by keeping his commandments, that will merit us to dwell with the Messiah when he rules and reigns in the earth during the Messianic era, which is the completion of our journey, being servants of him who will rule and reign with him in the earth. Looking at it yet another way, the coming out of Egypt is our redemption. And in breaking the covenant, we have a wilderness experience and we get exiled into the nations of the world. And the redemption from exile into the nations of the world is the completion of the process, which is an event that's associated with the Messianic era. 
And looking at the completion of the journey coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, that that process was not complete until they not just went into the promised land, but it was not complete until David ruled over a united kingdom from Jerusalem. That was the completion of the journey. And when he did that, he ruled from Zion. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 3, it is written, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. This is when David rules over a united kingdom. But ultimately, after David ruled over this united kingdom, his son Solomon took over upon David's death. And following the days of Solomon, the kingdom was divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the tribes of Israel got scattered into the nations of the earth. But the promise of the God of Israel is that he would redeem his people from the exile and bring them back to the promised land and give them a place better than their forefathers. And this end of the exile and return back to the land is associated with the Messianic era. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 18, it is written, Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and bring you to Zion. Zion is the completion of the journey. In those days, which is an idiomatic phrase for the Messianic era, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. They're dwelling together in unity, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Then, in the return back to the land, the people of the God of Israel will be ruling and reigning with Yeshua the Messiah during this Messianic era. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that they're ruling from Zion. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it is written, It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Those who have completed the journey, who have come to Zion and have received their inheritance and in coming out of Egypt and making it to the promised land, coming to Zion, they are the ones who's got to rule and reign with the Messiah. Sukkot is associated with the Messianic era. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, it is written, It will come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All nations of the world will be required to keep the Feast of Tabernacles during the Messianic era. Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, is the completion of the task the end of the spiritual journey. I'm going to now read from the art scroll, Ashkenazi Sidor, which is the prayer book for Sukkot. And commenting about Sukkot, it says, As we have seen, the three pilgrimage festivals form a progression 
from the birth of the nation on Passover to the assumption of its mission on Shavuot or Pentecost to the successful completion of its task on Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. What is going to be the completion of the task and the purpose of creation during the Messianic era? We will have Yeshua ruling and reigning over a united house of Jacob, Ezekiel 37 verse 22. The house of Jacob will be keeping Yeshua's commandments following Torah, Ezekiel 37:23, And Yeshua and the house of Jacob, his servants, will be making disciples, they will be teaching Torah to all nations during the Messianic era. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. In celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, the commandment and reason given in celebrating it from Leviticus chapter 23 verse 34 and then verses 42 through 43 is that you would remember the historical Egyptian redemption. In Leviticus 23:34, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Verse 42, You shall dwell in booze seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booze. Why? That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Why is it so important for future generations to know that when he brought them out of Egypt that they dwelt in booze? Why is that so important that your generations are to know this? The reason is because the future redemption from all the nations where the house of Jacob has been scattered is going to be likened under the historical Egyptian redemption. And to understand and identify with the experience, it's likened to the experience of dwelling in booths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we're told that all believers in Yeshua should see themselves as if they were redeemed from Egypt, and in doing so, these words are written. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud. When it talks about all of our fathers under the cloud, it's talking about in the divine presence with the tabernacle. Remember that they were all under the cloud. They all passed to the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, or the spiritual rock that was with them, the divine presence that was with them in the cloud and the tabernacle. Who is this divine presence? It is Yeshua. That rock was Messiah. And it goes on to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now all the things that happened unto them were in samples, but they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They are written for instruction for those who are living and the end of days. The historical Egyptian redemption is a parable that teaches us about the end of days. In Psalm 78, verses 1 and 2 and verse 14, it is written, Give ear, O my people, to my Torah. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Put the thought together. Give ear to my Torah because I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. 
So when he's speaking and teaching Torah, Torah is spoken and communicated in the form of a parable. What is a parable? A parable is a meaning that is not readily seen at the surface, but the true meaning is underneath what you see at the literal level. So in Psalm 78 verse 14, in telling us that the Torah is a parable, it tells us, in the daytime he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. So in telling us that the Torah is a parable, it tells us about when he was sojourning with his people in the tabernacle and his divine presence was with them. So that is a prophetic foreshadowing of the end of days. We can also see how the future redemption is like the historical Egyptian redemption from Hosea chapter 2 verse 15 which says, And I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor. Achor in Hebrew means trouble or troubling. The valley of Achor is an allusion to the tribulation period, or the Jews refer to the Hevlesha Mashiach, the birth pains of Messiah. I will give you the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she will sing there. The redemption and the feelings of redemption are always likened unto a song. She will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Then in Micah chapter 7 verse 15 it says, According to the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. I will show him what I did show him. The future redemption is called the song of the Lamb. In Psalm 137 verses 3 and 4 it is written, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The song of Zion is the song of redemption. The song of Zion is the completion of the task. The song of Zion is the song of joy. The song of Zion is the messianic era. The song of Zion is the end of the exile of Jacob. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How could we sing the song of redemption when we're in exile? You can't. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Because the redemption from all the nations where the house of Jacob has been scattered is associated with the redemptive work of the Messiah. That's why it's the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. This is a reference to Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, known as Mika Mocha. Now let's look at the traditional readings in Orthodox Judaism for Sukkot, and specifically the first day of Sukkot. The Haftorah, or the reading from the prophets, comes from Zechariah in chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. Why is Zechariah chapter 14 read during the time of Sukkot? Here is the rabbinic commentary that comes from the art scroll Ashkenaz Sidor for Sukkot and commenting about the Haftorah reading. It says, Prominent in the Haftorah subjects of Sukkot is the war of Gog and Magog the cataclysmic series of battles that will result in the final redemption in the Messianic era. The battle of Gog and Magog will result in the Messianic era. The Haftorah on the first day and that of the Sabbath of Kohamoed deal with this war. Nimikel Yosef to Megillah quotes a tradition from Rabbi 
Hygion, that the victory over Gog and Magog will take place in the month of Tishrei, which is the month of Sukkot. Rabbi Hirsch, to Numbers 29, verse 13, discusses the interconnection between Gog and Magog and Sukkot. Following is a free rendition of his thesis. In the name Gog, one recognizes the word in Hebrew, roof, which has the same letters as Gog. And thereby, as one sees the contrast to Sukkah, the weak, unstable covering of foliage. Actually, the whole history of mankind consists of this contrast. Just as people have the power to make themselves safe and secure against their earthly contemporaries by sturdy walls, so they delude themselves into thinking that they can make themselves safe and secure against that which comes from above, against God and his power to direct matters. They think that they can find security in the protection of their own might take their fate in their own hands and crown the building up in human greatness with gabbled roofs, rendering them independent of God. The war of Gog and Magog is the battle of a roof, which shares the same letters in Hebrew as Gog, against a sukkah. It's a battle of a roof versus a sukkah. The fight of the roof is an illusion of human greatness which never allows rest, against the sukkah's truth of cheerful confidence and serenity which comes in placing one's trust in God's protection. When you live in a sukkah, when you live out in the elements, you are aware that you need to trust in the God of Israel and his provision. But when you trust in your own might, you build your own house, you have your own stable roof, and you say, who needs to trust in the God of Israel? I already have everything that I need. So in doing a Hebrew wordplay on Gog, it's related in Hebrew to the Hebrew word for roof, and doing a word play on both of these words, Gog and Roof in Hebrew, they're making this comparison of the difference between trusting in yourself versus trusting in the God of Israel. And in looking at Zechariah and chapter 14, verse 3, it says, The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. What is understood to be the day of battle? It is understood to be the day when the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea. He's got to fight like he did in that day. Now, looking at the traditional Orthodox Jewish readings for Sukkot for Sabbath Kohamoed, the reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 18, through chapter 39, verse 16 in the Half Torah portion. And this half Torah portion deals with the war of Gog and Magog. On the first day of Sukkot, from Zechariah chapter 14, it deals with the nations of the world coming against Jerusalem. So there's an association and a link of the nations of the world coming against Jerusalem and the war of Gog and Magog. Both of these events are associated with tabernacles or the festival of Sukkot. The commentary to the reading from Ezekiel 38 and 39 from the art scroll Ashkenaz Siddur of Sukkot reads, 
As noted in the introduction to the Haftarah on the first day, this Haftarah was chosen because it deals with the war of Gog and Magog. The Midrash and Tanhuma Bofor relates the several plagues of this verse to the punishments that God brought upon the Egyptians. Thus, the sages compare Pharaoh's intentions with Gog's. And Gog and Magog will get the similar fate as Pharaoh. And looking at the war of Gog and Magog, at the end of Ezekiel chapter 39, we are told that following this war is the end of the exile of Jacob, the decreed end of the exile of Jacob. And Ezekiel 39, and beginning in verse 21 through 23, it is written, And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen will see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. From this day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. This is referring to understanding that Yeshua is the Messiah from that day forward. And the heathen will know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they transgressed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies, so fell they all by the sword. Now Ezekiel 39, verse 25, 27, and verse 29 is written, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Now! When is now, following the war of Gog and Magog, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Notice the regathering of his people is associated with pouring out his spirit. The gathering of his people is associated, and they will know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. It is associated that the nations will know that the God of Israel set his people into captivity, and now he is redeeming them because he decrees that at this time, following the war of Gog and Magog, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob. Ezekiel 39 and verse 25. Sukkot, or tabernacles, is associated with the cloud of glory. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, it is written, And they took their journey from Sukkot. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them in their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the glory of the Lord is the God of Israel going before his people, and this glory of the Lord is in the form of a cloud. That is leading his people. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 and verse 10, we can see that the glory of the Lord is said to be able to see and to hear. It says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So the glory of the Lord sees and hears. We're going to see that the glory of the Lord is described as being a consuming fire. In Exodus 20. Verse 16 and 17 it is written, And the glory of the Lord abode, 
And in Hebrew, this is the word shakan, which is the Strong's number 7931, where it says abode. It's the Hebrew word shakan, which means to settle down, abide, to dwell, to tabernacle, or to reside. So the glory of the Lord is dwelling. It's abiding upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. The tabernacle is the place of the dwelling of the glory of the God of Israel in the wilderness. Exodus 25, verse 8 and verse 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. The word dwell there is the Strong's number 7931. It's the Hebrew word shakan. Make me a sanctuary that I may shakan dwell among them. According to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. Yeshua is the glory of the Lord. By looking at Psalm 29, verse 3, Ezekiel 43, verse 2, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, we can make this connection association. Psalm 29, verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is upon many waters. Ezekiel 43, verse 2 says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came by way of the east, and his voice, the voice of the glory of the God of Israel, was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Revelation 1, verse 8. I am Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. This is Yeshua. And in describing Yeshua, Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, it says, His feet was likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. The voice of Yeshua is as the sound of many waters. The voice that's the sound of many waters is described as being and associated with the glory of the Lord. Yeshua is the glory of the Lord that was dwelling with his people in the wilderness through the tabernacle. He dwells with his people in John chapter 1 verse 14 at his first coming. He dwells with his people during the Messianic era. He dwells with his people at the time of the new heavens and the new earth. We can also see how Yeshua is the glory of the God of Israel by looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, 24, 25, and verse 29, as it is written. But you've come into Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. See, Mount Zion is the end of the journey, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, see that you refuse not him that speaks. So who is him that is speaking? Yeshua, and what is it referring to where he is speaking here? It's referring to Mount Sinai. So Yeshua is the one that spoke to his people at Mount Sinai. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, when did he speak on the earth? At Mount Sinai. Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. For our God is a consuming fire. And describing Yeshua and speaking from Mount Sinai, it goes on to say, our God is a consuming fire. And the consuming fire is a description of the glory of the God of Israel. Yeshua dwelling with his people can be seen in John chapter 1 verse 14 and then John chapter 14 verse 23. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And when he dwells among us, what's associated with that? The glory of God. So when you see the dwelling, look, we beheld his glory. 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 14, verse 23, Yeshua answered and said to him, If a man will love me and keep my words, that's keeping the Torah, the commandments, if you will keep my commandments, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In other words, if you keep his commandments, I'll take you to the promised land. The promised land is where he dwells with his people. The completion of the journey, the inheritance, the reward for loving him and keeping his commandments. In Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 5 and verse 7, we can see where the temple is the place where Yeshua will dwell with his people forever. Ezekiel 43, verse 5. So the Spirit took me up, and he brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And he said to me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Where did Yeshua say he's going to dwell in the midst of his people forever? In the temple, because it's in the temple where his glory fills the place. And then in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, it says, The Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day there will be one Lord and his name one. So when he's ruling and reigning over all the earth during the Messianic era, Zechariah 14, verse 9, he's got to be doing so from Jerusalem, from the temple, and his glory will be in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, we need to connect the glory, the return of the glory, with the restoration of the house of Jacob from the nations where they've been scattered, which the scriptures call building up Zion. In Psalm 102, verse 16, it says, When the Lord builds up Zion, Zion is the end of the journey, so at the end of the journey, what do you got to see? Him dwelling with his people, his glory. When he builds up Zion, he will appear in his glory. Psalm 147, verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. So building up Zion is building up Jerusalem. So what is building up Zion or building up Jerusalem? It goes on to say, Psalm 147, verse 2, he gathers together the outcasts of Israel. The gathering together the outcasts of Israel, the exiles of the house of Jacob, is the building up of Zion. And when this happens, he appears in his glory. You ever heard it taught that Yeshua could come at any time? No. He's only got to come when he builds up Zion, because when he builds up Zion, then he appears in his glory. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 17 says, For I will restore health unto you, and I will heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion which no man seeks after. So when he gathers his people, the world is going to say about his people that they are an outcast. And nobody in the world wants to follow after these people, the outcasts. So we have to be an outcast in the earth, and that's when the, the God of Israel says, oh, nobody cares about you? I do. Let me show the world how much I care about you and I love my people. I'm going to heal you of your wounds when they call you an outcast. Going back to the principle in Torah, which is stated by Moses Nachmanides in his commentary on the Torah in the introduction to Exodus, he states once again that all the events that happened to the forefathers were symbolic occurrences indicating and foretelling all that was destined to come upon their descendants. So looking at Genesis and seeing how the events that happened historically are future prophecies, we have in Genesis a rift between Joseph and his brothers. That is a prophetic foreshadowing of the division between northern kingdom and southern kingdom. 
and the Torah Anthology to Book 1 of the Twelve Prophets. In commenting about Amos in chapter 9, on page 459, it says, The story of Joseph and his brothers, Genesis chapter 38 through 50, is not an unfolding of chance events. Every detail stemmed from God and served his purpose. For the Almighty unfolded that the deeds of the fathers are assigned for their descendants. The conflicts between Joseph and his brothers were an indication regarding the future splitting of the kingdom of Israel into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Ephraim, son of Joseph. When later Joseph made himself known to his brothers, the reconciliation which ensued, Genesis 45, alludes to a future time. That which historically is recorded alludes to a future time when the two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, will reunite into a single nation looking at amos chapter 9 verse 11 it says in that day i will raise up the tabernacle of david that is fallen and close up its breaches i will raise it up and i will build it as in the days of old the commentary to this from the torah anthology says amos speaks prophetically about the messianic redemption god will raise up the tabernacle of david that is falling this refers to the calamity of the kingdom splitting in two in the days of Jeroboam, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 13, as of them and until the time of Hosea, son of Elah, 2 Kings chapter 17, the kingdom of the house of David had fallen. The scripture compares Jerusalem in the reigning dynasty of David to a tabernacle. Literally, a temporary hut such as used by shepherds. David had been the monarch who shepherded the people of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, and Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Raising up the tabernacle of David is the restoration of both houses of Israel or the end of the exile of Jacob. Reading from the Torah Anthology to Amos 9, verse 11, on page 457, it says, in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. This refers to the divine presence or the Shekinah or the glory of God which hovers protectively over her children. But at the outset it is fallen. So notice the return of the exiles is associated with the God of Israel dwelling with his people. That is raising up the tabernacle of David that is falling. It is associated with the restoration of both houses of Israel, and it's also associated with the return of the glory of God. Because when he redeems his people, he brings them to Zion. Zion's the end of the journey. At the end of the journey, he dwells with his people, which is the purpose of creation. The northern kingdom historically was taken captive by the Assyrians. In 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, it is written, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglat-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ehon, and mentions various cities, and Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali, and carried them captive to Assyria. The southern kingdom was taken captive by the Babylonians. 2 Kings 24, verse 10, and 2 Kings 24, verse 15 is written. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty men of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. So now we have the house of Jacob being exiled into the nations of the world, Sukkot, 
is about the completing of a task. What is the task? To regather the exiles who've been scattered. That's the task. That task will be completed, and it's associated with Sukkot. Sukkot is associated with the Messianic era. So the task of the servants of the God of Israel is restoring the tabernacle of David. In Amos chapter 9, verse 11, it says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Now, understanding that this is the task, is the restoration of the tabernacle of David, now let's understand Acts chapter 15 and an insight as to what they were seeing and what they made reference to. It says in Acts 15 verse 14, Simeon, that is Peter, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen and I will build again the ruins and I will set it up. So if the return and the building again of the tabernacle of David is the ingathering of the exiles... Those here in Acts chapter 15 are seeing that those who are coming to faith is a part of the fulfillment to regather the exiles of Israel. Sukkot is a festival of ingathering. It's a harvest festival. Exodus chapter 23 verse 14 and then verse 16 says, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. At the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, in the feast of ingathering, which is at the end of the year. Now look what the feast of ingathering is. It's when you've gathered in your labors out of the field. Gathered is the return of the exiles. Your labors, that's the servants of the God of Israel who's going out to get the exiles because they're in the field, which is the nations of the world. That is Sukkot in the festival of ingathering. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, from 38 and 39, Yeshua told us that the harvest is the end of the age and the field is the world. Then Yeshua sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Matthew 13, verse 38 and 39, he says, The field is the world. When you've gathered the labors out of your field, that's the world. The good seed is the children of the kingdom that are gathered. The children of the kingdom, that is the house of Jacob, they are the good seed that you harvest from the world. But the tares are the children of the wicked one, those who try to prevent this from happening. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, the end of the exile of Jacob. And the reapers are the angels. Now, you can render this word angels as a messenger. And who are the reapers? Who's the ones that go out to bring in the harvest? The servants of the God of Israel. So in context, this probably should be translated as the reapers are the servants of the God of Israel or the messengers of the God of Israel. Yeshua said that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38 says, And when he saw the multitudes, which is a term for the exiles scattered in the nations, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad, exiled in the nations, as sheep without any shepherd, none to gather them. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest, which is the exiles in the nations, the house of Jacob scattered in the nations of the world, they're plenteous. But the laborers, 
those who are teaching the restoration of the tabernacle of David through Yeshua the Messiah and teaching them to follow Torah are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers, send the laborers into the harvest. And Sukkot is the festival of ingathering when you gather your harvest from the field. The northern kingdom that walked in darkness saw a great light. In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, it is written, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward he did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee, the nations. The people that walked in darkness, walking in darkness means not following Torah. So the people here is referring to those who dwelt in this area, which is the northern kingdom, that they saw a great light. This is Yeshua the Messiah. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, which is the land that your enemies take you into captivity, upon them has light shined. What is the light? It is the Messiah, His redemptive work, repentance of your sins, and following Torah. The work of the Messiah is to gather the exiles of Israel. In John chapter 10, verse 14, He says, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and I have known of mine. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and verse 13. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them, that's teach them Torah, upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. Ephraim is a multitude of people. Genesis chapter 48, verse 14 and verse 19 is written, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. His younger brother, that is Ephraim, shall be greater than he, that is Manasseh, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So when Yeshua said he saw the multitudes, this is a reference to his people being scattered into the nations. And it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, Yeshua went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. What did he teach? Torah. So he's teaching Torah, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? It's the restoration of the tabernacle of David. It's bringing his people to Zion. That's the good news. The good news is Messiah's got to forgive you of your sins and he's got to return you back to their land and bring you to a place above your fathers and he's got to dwell with his people. That's the good news. And he's healing every sickness and every disease. When his people broke the covenant, they became sick and diseased. Messiah's got to heal the sickness and the disease. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were scattered abroad, exiled as a sheep, having no shepherd. In the book, From Exile to Redemption, Rabbi Schneerson writes that the Messiah will seek the lost sheep. The Midrash relates that when Moses noticed one day that a lamb had run away from the flock and had strayed in the wilderness, he left the flock and ran after it in order to bring it back. And he goes on to say, and since the first redeemer, referring to Moses, is also the last redeemer, it is clear that what is true of Moses is likewise true of the Messiah. So if, if Moses went out and got the one that went out from the camp, Messiah is going to do that as well. Messiah is going to gather the exiles of Israel.
the exiles are a sheep without a shepherd. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Yeshua, when he came out, saw much people. And where it says much people, it's the same Greek word that's translated elsewhere as multitude. He saw the multitude and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The great multitude are said to be diseased. John chapter 6, verse 2, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he had did on them that were diseased. What is the disease? The disease is breaking Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, verse 60 and 61. It will come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe and to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command you this day, the commandments given at Mount Sinai, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. What are the curses? Behold, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, which you was afraid of, and they will cleave unto you. Also, every sickness and every plague that is not written in the book of this Torah, them will the Lord bring upon you until you be destroyed. So, the consequence of breaking the commandment is the diseases would come upon you. So when it says that they were diseased, that means that they had broken the commandments. They were not following Torah. Messiah comes to heal that disease. So breaking the Torah, breaking the commandments, not only brings about disease, but it brings about exile. Deuteronomy 28, verse 49 and verse 64. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as an eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. And the Lord will scatter you among all people from one end of the earth, even unto the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. He will scatter you from one end of the earth, even to the other. That's exile. Messiah's task is to heal the exiles of Israel. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and verse 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. I will seek that which is lost. I will bring again that which was driven away. I will bind up that which is broken. I will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with judgment. So what is the task of the servants of Yeshua? It's to proclaim the gospel message that Yeshua died on the tree to gather the exiles of Israel, which is mentioned in John 11, verses 49 through 52. Number two, it's to teach the house of Jacob to express their faith in Yeshua as the Messiah by following Torah, John chapter 14, verse 15. And thirdly, it's to fish for the exiles of Israel in the nations. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Fishing is the word that's described as seeking after the exiles of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it is written, But the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he has driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I have given unto the fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, says the Lord, and they will fish them. The fishers are going after the exiles of Israel. That is why Yeshua said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Come after me, and if you follow me, here's your task. If you're my servant, here's your task. I will make you fishers of men. That is, I will cause you to go out and to fish for the exiles of Israel. In order to accomplish this task, we need to receive power to do it. That power is the 
power that comes from the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 8. When they therefore will come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? What's the restoration of the kingdom of Israel? Raising up the tabernacle of David. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. If you're going to be his witnesses, what are you? You are a laborer in the field for the harvest. You will be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That encompasses the full element and aspect of the scattering of the exiles of Israel. Regathering the exiles is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and through 20. Yeshua came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What did he teach them to do? Follow Torah. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Reaping the harvest is the completion of the task. Sukkot is completing the task. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. In this gospel of the kingdom, what's the gospel of the kingdom? Yeshua is the Messiah. He regathers the exiles of Israel. We need to love him by keeping his commandments, which is following Torah. And you can be forgiven of your sins through Yeshua the Messiah. That's the gospel of the kingdom. It will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we see this. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, in Psalm 137, verse 1 and verse 4, it speaks about those who would be weeping for Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, that is, the places where we've been exiled, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion, saying, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Sukkot is the season of our joy. It's the joy of completing the task. It's the joy of bringing in the harvest. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39 and verse 40, we can see that Sukkot is associated with the time of joy or rejoicing. In the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 13 through 15 it is written, you shall observe the feast of tabernacles seven days after you've gathered in your corn and your wine and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that is within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast unto the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increase and all the works of your hands. Therefore you shall surely rejoice. So because of the rejoicing that's associated with Sukkot, it's called the season of our joy. Our rejoicing comes when we see the end of the captivity of the exiles of the house of Jacob, which is the returning of the captivity of Zion. Psalm 126, verse 1 and verse 5 and 6. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. They that sow in tears, why are you weeping? 
for Zion being in exile, Zion departing from Torah. They that sow in tears, if you sow in tears, what are you going to do being a servant of the God of Israel? You're going to fish for the exiles. You're going to go out to bring them back. That if you do that, you will reap in joy. That's Sukkot. That's the completion of the task. He that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the harvest. This is the exiles of Israel returning back into the fold. So this is the completion of the task. And in completing the task, we will experience the season of our joy. So what have we learned in this session? We have learned that Sukkot is associated with the completing of the task. It's the conclusion of our spiritual journey, that the God of Israel brought his people out of Egypt for the purpose of taking them to the promised land. And bringing them in the promised land was not complete until they were ruling and reigning under David as a united kingdom from Jerusalem. So that journey is leaving Egypt and going into the promised land, which is associated with Zion. Zion is associated with the Messianic era. Zion is associated with the end of the exile of Jacob. Zion is associated with Messiah restoring and regathering, redeeming his people from all the nations where they've been scattered. Zion is associated with ruling and reigning with Messiah in the earth. So, and being a part of this purpose by being servants of Yeshua, this is the task that we are called to do, is we are called to weep for Zion, and if we weep for Zion, we will reap in joy. Sukkot is known as the season of our joy. Sukkot and the Messiah dwelling with his people, which he initially came and tabernacled with them at his first coming, John chapter 1 verse 14, we will see him tabernacling with his people for a thousand years during the Messianic era, and that is the purpose of creation, that the God of Israel wanted to have a house where the house is the house of Jacob, where he would dwell with his people. That is going to be fulfilled through the Messiah and his redemptive work. The ultimate fulfillment of the purpose of creation and Messiah dwelling with his people is in the days of the new heavens and the new earth, where the glory of the Messiah will light the new Jerusalem and his bride will be living and dwelling with him for all eternity. This is going to conclude this session. I pray that it's been a rich blessing to you. We should remember always the words of Yeshua from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, which says, He who says he abides in him, he who says he's a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, ought to walk as he walked. How did Yeshua walk? He kept the commandments of the God of Israel. As followers of Messiah, we are commanded to do the same. And if we do so, we will live and abide and dwell with the Messiah, and we will experience the joy of Sukkot. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.